fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. Then we're going to turn to John chapter 14. Starting in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me any more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. All right, let's pray. We rest with the word. Father, we... um we thank you for so much for this opportunity uh, to dig deeper into your word and uh, we pray tonight, as we do each week, that please you would bless this time, you'd give us uh, hearts and minds that are engaged and able to concentrate with all the different distractions and things on in our life and uh, I pray that you might help me speak what's true uh, but help us please search your scriptures and uh, wrestle with the things you have given us that we might grow to be all that you long for us to be. Amen. Well, let, let me start by saying, fundamental to the Christian faith, fundamental to the Christian faith, as Jesus taught it, is that Christianity is uh, a religion of the Holy Spirit of God. It's a, it's a religion that brings you deeply in touch with He who is Spirit. 
It is deeply spiritual, if spiritual means being in touch with the spirit. Uh, Christianity is a spirit religion. Now, just uh, a quick, you know, look at Mark, uh, uh, John chapter 14, as we were looking, as we had it read, just makes it very evident, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit repeatedly. Uh, The Holy Spirit is uh, at the heart of what it is to be a Christian. And to say, though, that that teaching and uh, that thinking can be hugely confronting in our day. We've got some really complex pieces that are happening. We've got a culture around us through the education system, uh, schooling, university, that often teaches people, has, brings an assumption with it, that, um, that the thought that there might be spirit in the world or spirits is primitive. Do you know, we ought to get rid of that, like we get rid of fairies and unicorns and, um, you know, leprechauns, that kind of stuff. That, it's all that kind of primitive thinking. We're now progressed, we're now mature, we're adults. We don't believe there's spirits and spirit. Uh, this is very much the shape of our education system. And so many of you might have been influenced by that. Uh, you might sense that as you move around the place. And um, so it can actually be hard sometimes talking about the very thing Jesus teaches here, which is that there is spirit. But we must, because it's core to Christianity, to biblical thought, God is spirit. If you're going to believe there is a God, you immediately are committed to the notion that there is a spiritual realm. Because God himself is not physical, he creates matter, he is not himself matter, he is spirit. And so right away, we're we're in this place where we need to acknowledge that there's a non-material existence, spirit, and there's material, the two things. Uh, and uh, to recognise these two dimensions. Um, It can be hard to talk like that, but biblical thought and the reality there's a God drives us there. But here's the thing for us tonight, what does it look like to have a spirit experience with God? What does it feel like to be a spirit, spiritual person? What kind of evidence would you expect to see if a person was in touch with the Holy Spirit of God, with the Spirit? What would you expect a church to look like if it was a spirit church. Now, these questions are really kind of in the air as well because not only we've we got this kind of critique of ever talking about the spirit, we've also got a whole Christian church movement that focuses very heavily on the spirit and, um, and gives all kinds of uh, thoughts and ideas around what it does look like to be in touch with the spirit. And so, us as a church, we often get caught in the middle of all of that, um, critique because we believe in the Spirit, critique because we don't believe enough in the Spirit. Do you know that, that, that we're not really a Spirit church, we're just a Bible teaching church, whereas the, here's really where the Spirit is and you need to move in the Spirit and this is what it looks like. This is what we want to tackle together tonight. Um, it, and this is the place to do it, John 14. There's, in, in the Bible, the Bible talks about the Spirit of God in numbers of places, but there's only a couple of places where the teaching of the Bible kind of focuses on the Holy Spirit. And that's right here, chapter 14, 15 and 16. That is to say, you'll get teaching of the Spirit in a verse here and a verse there, but what you find here in these three chapters, 14, 15 and 16, is a more extended, deeper teaching by the Lord Jesus on the Holy Spirit. So if you're going to work out what it is to be in touch with the Holy Spirit of God, this is the place to start. Now, the context, of course, is... um, The context is that uh, this is the last night of Jesus' life before His crucifixion. Um, and uh, he's in a room that's called the Upper Room, this is the way it's talked about and known as, uh, and he's with his disciples and his disciples alone. 
There's no crowd, it's just him and his disciples. And he's teaching them about the Holy Spirit. Now you kind of wonder, why on the last night does he talk about the Holy Spirit in an extended way? Well, uh, I want to I give you some sense of that. It's because on this last night, he's concerned to bring them comfort. And it's tied together, the, the, the way he, so chapter 14, verse 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, believe in me. Don't be troubled. You get it also down in verse 27 of chapter 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. He's, they're, they're troubled. Now, why are they troubled? You need to dig into this. Because here's a group of uh, men who have left everything to follow Jesus. They, they, were, they were, had their jobs, their careers, their families. Jesus came along and said, I'm going to take you into a great, glorious future. Um, come with me to participate in this extraordinary thing. And so they, they leave everything. They sell up everything. They go with Jesus. They follow him. Um, sacrificed everything. And after a couple of years of being with Jesus at great cost, he says, I'm out of here. I'm going. I'm going to die. And they're going what? <laughs> We've left everything, what are we going to do now? And there's distress and disturbance and so Jesus knows this, the night before he's crucified and goes, he wants to speak to them a word of comfort and the heart of his comfort, well a, a key piece in his comfort is his promise that he will come back to them. Have a look there in verse chapter 14 verse 16, I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him for He lives with you and be with you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. So there's, at the heart of Jesus' word of comfort is, I will come to you. I'm going, I'm going to be crucified and then, they don't know, but raised and ascended to the Father's right hand, but I'm going to come back. So you won't be on your own, there's the word of comfort. Now that triggers for us a bunch of theological thoughts and I want to take you through them. How is it the coming of the Holy Spirit is Jesus coming to us? First one, and I'm going to tackle that at the outset. But the second one, what does it look like and feel like to have the Holy Spirit with us? And that's the second big thing I want to deal with you tonight and teach on. So let's go the first one. The fact is that Christian life is an experience of the Spirit life, but that experience of the Spirit life is itself an experience of Jesus. So let me just say that again, it's so critical. The Christian life is in essence an experience of the Spirit, the Christian life is a spiritual thing, but that Spirit experience is itself an experience of Jesus. Now, what am I talking about? Well, let's look at verse 16 again. I will ask the Father and He will give you another advocate, like Jesus was an advocate, to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, right? I'm going to send you the Spirit of truth to be with you forever. But look there at verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Now, are those two different experiences? where He sends the Spirit and then He comes, so that there's two comings to us, the Spirit comes and Jesus comes, they're two different experiences. Um, now, in many people's minds, it does appear so. 
Because in, in many of us, we imagine God to be Father, Son, Spirit as three separate blokes who hang out together and are good friends. But they're separate. They're they're not only not each other, they're separate to each other. They're three gods, but we don't know how that works. And so you can have the Spirit as one of the blokes who comes to you, but then another time you'll have Jesus come to you. But I want to say to you tonight, that is completely and profoundly misunderstand the work of God Himself. It's completely and profoundly to misunderstand who God is. God is one, Father, Son and Spirit. And so when Jesus here teaches that the Spirit of truth will come and be with you forever, and He says, verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. He means it's the same experience and I'm going to prove it to you, but let me just show you, let me highlight that this is what He keeps teaching. Can we look there at verse 23? Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching, my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Father and Son will come to them and make... That's another thing that's happening. So the Spirit comes and the Father comes and the Son comes and there's a crowd there and you all hang out. Is that what's going on? No, 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 no. When you understand the nature of God, the person of God as Father, Son and Spirit, but one God, you will see there's a profound understanding of what happens with the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the place to look at this, uh, to to, to see this more clearly is Romans chapter 8. Come with me across to Romans chapter 8. Keep something there in John 14, Romans chapter 8. Flip over there, verse 9. Verse 9, you however are not in the realm of the flesh but in the realm of the Spirit if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. Just pause there. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. That's just underlining the fact that if you are a born-again believer, a Christian who loves the Lord Jesus, then you have the Spirit. There are not Spirit Christians and not Spirit Christians. To be a Christian is to be a Spirit Christian. You have the Spirit. But what I want you to notice is the way Paul's language changes... Did you see it? He says, um, he calls, he, he talks about the realm of the Spirit and then he says, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you and then he says, if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. Now, are those three different spirits? Spirit of God, the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. No, no, it's, the, it's three different ways of talking about the one person, the Spirit. Who is the Spirit of God? Who is the Spirit of Christ? who is the Spirit. And in fact, if you look there at verse 10, in a very strange way, he sums it all up by saying, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life. If Christ is in you. What's going on here is Paul so naturally thinks of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, being the Spirit of God, being the Spirit of Christ, so bound up with the person of Christ that if the Spirit of Christ is with you, the Spirit of God, that is to have Christ with you. It is to say Jesus is with you because He's the Spirit of Jesus. And it's, the deeper piece here is the theology of Trinity. If you have the Holy Spirit of God, you have all of God, Father and Son. If you have Jesus, the Son, you have all of God, the Father and the Spirit. You can't separate Father from Spirit from, from Son. 
But we tend to, in popular thought, sort of imagine you can have you can have Jesus, or you can have the Spirit, or you can have both. Or no, 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 not in biblical thought. God is one. Father is in three persons, but one. Those three persons aren't separate people. They are able to be distinguished, but not separated, because they're the one God, and it's a mystery. Jesus is all of God, not just a part. Holy Spirit is all of God, the Spirit of God, the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, Christ. He is all of... So, to have the Spirit is to have Christ. Do you see, we we need to put to death the notion that there are two kinds of Christians and two kinds of church. We need to put to death the notion that somehow Christianity can be a Jesus Christianity or a Spirit Christianity. No, 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 no. That's to misunderstand the nature of God and the way the Bible teaches. If the Spirit of God comes to us, then Jesus teaches it's the Father and Son coming to us. Paul teaches it's Christ being in you. And if Christ is in you, you have the Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about this in other places, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, that when you believe, upon believing in the name of the Lord Jesus you receive the Holy Spirit, you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the coming of Christ to you by His Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the baptism in the Spirit, such that when you, are, when you are united to other believers by the work of the Gospel, the Lord Jesus, you are baptized, immersed in the Holy Spirit to be bound together as one. There is no such thing as a born-again Christian who doesn't have the Spirit. The promise of God, the astonishing promise of God is if you put your trust in Jesus as Lord and Saviour, you will become the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 3. Which is God taking up residence with you, Father and Son coming to make their home with you. You are not on your own, Christian. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you are not an orphan, you are loved by God, Father, Son and Spirit have taken up residence in your life. Um, Do you believe it? It's an extraordinary truth. See, there's the first fundamental point, that the experience of the Holy Spirit is, is what all Christians have, there's no such thing as a Spirit Church or a Jesus Church, they're all Spirit Churches, if they're Jesus Churches, and Christians all have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God in full measure. You don't have a part of God, you have all of God by the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, be very careful about the language that's used around the place. But here's the thing, what does that look like in experience? What does it look like to experience the Holy Spirit of God? What does it look like to be a church that's a Holy Spirit church? What does it feel like? This is the second big thing I want to take you through. I've got four points here, so be ready for that. But I want to um, give you the Bible verses first and then put them together under four headings. Make sense? So let's look at the Bible verses. What you have here from in chapter uh, 14, verse 15 on, is a series of statements that are repetitive. Did you notice there's things that Jesus just keeps saying the same thing again and again? Look at verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Come to verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23, Jesus said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. You see the repetition? And then he says it in the negative, verse 24, anyone who doesn't love me will not obey my teaching. 
And he says it again in verse 31, actually. Um, I love the Father, I love the Father, and so do exactly what my Father has commanded him. I obey. He bangs away at this repeatedly, that love of him means obeying his commandments and if you obey his commandments it's a reflection of your love of him just as he loved the father and obeys the father deeply important the repetition if you see something repeated like this it means the person cares a great deal about it Um, so there's so much here let me do it under four headings the first one is this Um, the spirit life is bound up with knowing the truth second point obeying the truth, which is an expression of love, like Jesus is with the Father. That's where we're going. Let me give you the first. An experience, what does an experience of the Spirit feel like? It's, it's an experience of knowing the truth. Now, why do I say that? Because of verse 17. He is called the Spirit of truth. I will send you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. He is called the Spirit of Truth. He is the one sent by the Father on the request of the Son to verse 26, teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you, to um, remind the Apostles of the teaching, the truth of what He taught, which is a very particular thing actually. Let me just have a quick aside on this one. It's, It's important about Bible reading. What you see through this section is sometimes Jesus is referring to all Christians and sometimes he's speaking just to the apostles. It's important to distinguish that. Verse 26, you know he's speaking just to the apostles because he says, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth will remind you of everything I've said to you. That's not your experience because we weren't around when Jesus said all these things. So he's speaking particularly to the apostles in the upper room to say to them, they're going to have a special anointing of the Spirit of Truth, whose role will be to lead them into remembrance of everything Jesus said while on earth. So verse 26 really is a promise to the Apostles. Why is that important? Because by commissioning the Apostles with a special anointing of the Holy Spirit to remember everything Jesus has said, we can be certain that what the Apostles teach us about Jesus' teaching is what Jesus taught because they had a special anointing of the Holy Spirit to be led into the truth and to teach what is true. Um, Just a quick aside. But this Spirit who leads them into the truth promises to come to all Christians to take up home their life and home with us so that you and I might also know the truth. Now, this doesn't seem very spiritual. In many contexts, uh, to know the truth doesn't seem like engaging with the Spirit, doesn't seem exciting enough. Um, We have a whole culture today when it talks about spirit and spirituality that seems to set a contrast between an experience of the spiritual and the truth. And how it plays out is this, people who are into spirituality tend to be people who... um, uh, talk in terms of being led to your own truth, not the truth, being led to hold to what you, your journey in the truth and how you see it because to believe in the truth becomes divisive because then some people are wrong and some people are right and spirituality today doesn't want that kind of thinking, it wants to be everyone's okay. 
But what you have here is that Jesus teaches the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And that you know the truth. The profound work of the Holy Spirit is that you might come to know the truth, which is utterly critical to your life with God. You see, think with me. Where does the battle for your soul happen? Where does the battle for your soul happen in the spiritual realm? That is to say, if there is a satanic power, and Jesus teaches there is, what is Satan's greatest power over you? What is the most dangerous thing that he can bring against you? What's his weapon to undo you spiritually? That he might possess you? That he might bring mental illnesses on you? That he might cause you to be involved in seances and killing of kittens at midnight or something like this? What is Satan's greatest power over you? The greatest danger that he has? Well, what I'm going to say is going to disappoint because it won't feel like it's very great. But Satan's greatest power, this is going to feel like a letdown, so I'm sorry just to warn you, his greatest weapon against you is lies, untruths. Come back to John 8. Come back a couple of chapters. Look there at verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for you were, I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. So Jesus identifies this religious group of people as satanic, as belonging to Satan. Now, what does it look like to experience belonging to Satan? What's the mark that they're satanic people? That they, they have horns, they have a tail, they smell of sulfur, what is it? Well, Jesus tells us. You want to carry out your father's desires? He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there was no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. At the very heart, Satan is the father of lies. His great weapon is to tell lies, distort and deny and bring untruths. Now, why is that a great power over us? Because relationship with God depends on knowing the truth about God. We can't see God. He is spirit. Uh, The only way we relate to God is by virtue of Him speaking to us words. And if if the truthfulness of those words is undone, we're lost. We can't know who this God is. If we get things wrong about God, we're lost. If we believe lies about God, we're lost. And Satan knows that. You see, example. Is God the creator of the universe and your creator who owns you? Is that true? If it is true, then it has massive implications that are significantly important for you to bow the knee. But if it's not true, uh, then we're in a whole different universe. And so whether it's true or not matters critically to us. And Satan makes sure that you don't believe it's true. Because that unravels your relationship. Is it true that we are sinners with no hope before God except His grace through the cross of Jesus? Is that true? 
Or Satan is at work to tell you it's not true. To tell you the lie that actually you're basically good and if you just be a decent person, you'll be okay. And he tells us the lies that completely undo our relationship with God and mean we'll stand before him unforgiven and lost. Lies is his great power. And the very point of the greatest disaster that has ever struck our universe is the fall of humanity from the garden. And the way it happened is that Satan came to Adam and Eve and lied to them. Did God really say? You can't trust the truth of what God said. And the reason he said it was for his own motives, not yours and your good. He lied. And humans in their pride bought into the lie. His greatest weapon is lies and deceits about what God is like and what we're like. And the greatest gift, therefore, of God is the truth. To bring the truth into the world. Because Jesus says in this very context, if you hold to my teachings, you're my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The lights will go on. You'll know the truth of who you are, who God is. You better have a relationship with this God by virtue of the truth, the truth of the gospel. Um, and so the Holy Spirit, John 14, the great power of the Holy Spirit is to come as the Spirit of truth who reveals the truth, who brings the truth. The work of the Spirit is that we might know the truth because it's critical for our relationship with God. And so how does it feel to know this Spirit? That you start to know the truth, you see the truth, you're more open to being alert to the truth, you're not captivated by the lies of the world around you. And all of this is such that, secondly, we might obey the truth. Truth is not given to be an object of interest, but the truth of Jesus is taught by the Holy Spirit that we might realise He is Lord and that we might then bow the knee to Him as Lord, to know the truth about Him and therefore respond in obedience to Him, obey Him. Because the Spirit keeps pointing us to Jesus as Lord, as the one we are to obey. It's all centred on Him. The Spirit Church is the one that keeps focusing on the truth of who Jesus is and calling us to obey Jesus and His commandments and teaching. It's His Word, His teaching that we might obey. You know, one of the most helpful um, things for me going through the charismatic time back in the 80s, um, and I'm sorry, I know many of you don't, that's ancient history at school for you, uh, the 1980s, but um, back in the 1970s, 80s, there was this great chasm in churches where um, this charismatic movement kicked off and... um, you know, little churches like the one I was converted into were very ordinary, very plain, and people came saying, you haven't got the Spirit. You might have Jesus, but you haven't got the Spirit. Here's a spectacular church that has the Spirit, come and join us. And we had lots of people leave to go part of, be part of the Spirit movement. Um, and, um, and in that context, there was a couple of verses that were very helpful. I mean, knowing that the Spirit is the Spirit of truth was helpful to me. Knowing that uh, He was the Spirit of truth, that I might know the truth of Jesus and obey Him. But I'll show you a couple of verses that really, really helped me. Chapter 15, verse 26, grab that one. 15, 26. When the Advocate comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, He will testify about me. Really helpful. The work of the Spirit, the Spirit of truth, is is to testify about Jesus. 
So if you know that this Spirit is alive and well, the way you know that the Spirit's alive and well in a place is that the Spirit causes people to testify to Jesus, not to Himself. Hugely helpful. You see it again in chapter 16, verse 14. 16, verse 14. He will glorify me because it's from me that He will receive what He will make known to you. He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, isn't about Himself. He is the the member of the Trinity who points to the others all the time. He's the one who testifies about the Lord Jesus, who glorifies the Son, who wants you to see the Son and not Him. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And that is massively important. Do you know a church that talks obsessively about the Spirit is unlikely to be in touch with the true Spirit. Because if they're talking about the Spirit a lot, it probably means they don't actually have an experience of the Spirit because the Spirit will cause them to talk a lot about Jesus. And a church that talks a lot about Jesus and not much about the Spirit is probably the church most in touch with the Spirit because the work of the Spirit is to testify about Jesus and to glorify the Son. Do you know, there's an illustration that can be helpful in this one. Um, Back in the day, you know, there are auctions, artwork auctions. None of us have ever been to them, but I have seen them on TV, where, um, you know, they bring in these amazing artworks of millions of dollars and so on and so forth. And people carry this artwork in, let's say, and we call them the auctioneer's assistant, and they carry this artwork in so that you can see the artwork. But here's the deal, as they carry it in or hold it there, I don't know that they do this actually, but as they carry it in and hold it there... You can see the auctioneer's assistant's fingers and you can see his legs but his job is to make sure you don't see him. His job is to make sure you see the artwork and you will see a little bit of him as he does that job of showing us the artwork. That's the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is is the auctioneer's assistant who brings the Lord Jesus to us and shows us the Lord Jesus and says, look at the Lord Jesus, I testify to the Jesus, glorify the Son. You might see the Spirit's legs and fingers, if you like. You'll see Him at work, but you'll know He's truly at work because you see the Son, the Lord Jesus testified to and glorified. The Spirit of truth, that we might obey the truth, obey the truth that Jesus teaches, the commandments of Jesus because that's where the Spirit points us. And third, so first, you know the Spirit by the truth, you know the Spirit because the Spirit points to Jesus, to obey Jesus, His commands. Third, this is love. This is love. If you love me, He says, you will obey my commandments. And the point that Jesus is making here is, Love is not just up to you to work out how you express it, how you feel it. He's saying, here's what love is. This is not choose your own adventure. This is not you decide what you find the most helpful way to express your love. He says, I'll tell you how you express your love. Obey me. Keep my commandments. It's not up to you to just work it out yourself. I'm more a feeling person, so I want to express my love in my emotions. Jesus says, no, 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 no. By all means, express your emotions. Raise your hands in song and love it. Love it, brothers and sisters. But don't reduce the love of God down to that because He tells you what the love of God is. It's to obey His commandments. 
He says it again and again and again. That you obey me demonstrates you love me. Now, we need to get hold of this because we live in a culture that said love is love. We live in a time where people have this slogan that says love is love and what they mean by that, whatever you think love is, we're going to let you believe is love. If you think love is the relationship of X, Y and Z, then love is love, we don't judge that, love for you is that and Jesus says, you're not free to think like that. The love of me shows itself in obeying my commandments with frailty failing of course but seeking the forgiveness of God and pursuing by the Holy Spirit the pursuit of being godly he is the Holy Spirit who is about holiness you see the truth of who God is matters the truth of what it is to love God matters and the Spirit testifies to that Um, and so here it is brothers and sisters with us um, we cannot claim to love Jesus and pick and choose what we obey. You cannot claim to love Jesus and sit over his words, liking some parts and disliking others. If you actually claim to love Jesus, that needs to show itself in bowing the knee to Jesus, obeying his commandments and not sitting over them. Jesus cannot be, the love of Jesus cannot be reduced to emotionalism on Sunday in deeply moving singing. Though, we want deeply moving singing. We want you to praise God with all your heart. And we want you to lift your hands and get in, we want you to get, but don't think that is the key evidence that you love God. The key evidence that you love God is on Monday morning you wake up and say, Lord, let me now live for you, obeying you, going where you direct me. That is the love of God. It's a devastating testimony of church worship leaders, um, and I've seen this over the decades, that young men and women who have led church worship, um, leading with deeply moving experiences and calling on people to be deeply moved by the whole thing and themselves crying and so on, And then on Mondays, sleeping with their girlfriend or boyfriend, stealing the money, disobeying their bosses, picking and choosing what they want to believe. It's a devastating testimony of church that we have failed to appreciate the genuine test of love is what you do with His commands, not how you feel during the singing. But we care about how you feel doing the singing. So do you hear what I'm saying here? You know, two things grew up during the 1970s. Um, An anti-spirit thinking that you can be a Christian and just be respectable without any relationship with God through His Spirit. And the Bible critiques that. But the other thing that grew up through the 1970s and 80s, this charismatic movement, was a focus on emotion as the evidence of your love of God and a critique of churches that didn't have enough emotion in their singing as churches that didn't really love God and yet those very churches were full of hypocrisy and sin and sleeping with each other and defrauding and (laughs) just completely got it around the wrong way. The love of God is not a live your own adventure, it's to know by the Holy Spirit the truth, to obey the truth And that is what it is to love God. Fourth point, just like Jesus did. 
Just like Jesus loved his father and so did what his father commanded. Friends, there is the teaching on the Holy Spirit from John 14 so far. We'll come back at this a few times. Um, but let me, let me finish with some inspiration for us. I hope it's inspiration for you. There's some sort of correction and some teaching and theology that we need to get in place. But let me sort of try and land it and inspire you with this. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, you are not on your own. He has not left you as an orphan. Father, Son and Spirit have come to you to take up residence in your life. Though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He is there with you. All through the ups and downs, you have the Holy Spirit of God, God Himself, the Spirit of Christ, Christ in you sustaining you and strengthening you and that is the most astonishing and incredible experience of relationship with God. Do you know um, last night I, uh, I had some grandchildren around and I know it's crazy to think that I might have grandchildren, I'm so young but um, I had some grandchildren around and I, I was trying to, we, they wanted to watch TV before they went to bed and so I thought oh I'll get some watery surfy thing because that's we can start training them up early. And, um, uh, and I, I got onto that Netflix show called My Octopus Teacher. Have you seen My Octopus Teacher? Hands up if you've seen My Octopus Teacher. There we go, a whole bunch here. I, look, go and, if you haven't seen it, go and see it. It's, uh, I, I, thought it was, I thought it was very, very good. There's, it's about this um, South African, I mean, it's South Africans, right? That's South African. Um, the one nation you can stir because they're, they're robust and they're tough and they don't care. But um, the, this South African decided to swim in a kelp uh, forest every day um, for 12 months to make connection with an octopus. And he discovered this octopus and he became friends with this octopus. And so after some time, he talks about how the octopus begins to trust him and it looks like it did. It really is quite weird, right? But uh, this octopus would come out of its, uh, its um, habitat, its hole it was in, and it would actually crawl up his hand and start to give him a hug. Uh, and, and, you know, they'd stare into each other's eyes and it would be this beautifully moving moment, right? And so you watch this man engage with this relationship with an octopus. Um, and he said this, and I've written it down because I didn't think you'd believe me, but listen to this... Um, when you have that connection with an animal, it is absolutely mind-blowing, he said. There is no greater feeling on earth. Boundaries dissolve and it's just pure magnificence of her, the octopus. There's no greater feeling on earth to have a connection with an animal that's absolutely mind-blowing. Now, I don't doubt that a human who has an, a connection with a wild animal who's so completely alien and other, like an octopus, is mind-blowing. I think there's something... It, it really is quite an extraordinary show. But really, the greatest emotion on earth? You need a life. <laughs> and because here's the thing, friends. Because of the work of the Lord Jesus, whose death on a cross paid for your sins, and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit... You have a relationship, not with an octopus, but with the God of the universe. The God of the universe enfolds you in His love. The one who is entirely other. He's not just some, like, 
dog creature animal who's lower than us but the God of the universe who's far infinitely above us he promises to come to you by the work of the Holy Spirit father son and take up his home with you so that you have a relationship like no other that is mind-blowing that is a feeling like no other we have this relationship that is astonishing give thanks for that and let it be a comfort to you that you're not alone let me pray Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the astonishing truth that we have a relationship with you, the God of the universe, who by your Spirit comes and is present with us. You have made your home with us. We thank you for this. And pray, please, you might help us appreciate the wonder and glory and greatness of it. Help us, therefore, to be people who respond to the Spirit of truth, who seek to obey the words of our Lord Jesus, who, ex- who see in this our love for you, um, as we model ourselves off you, Jesus, with your Father. And we pray that you might empower us in all of this, in Jesus' name. Amen.